It's always great to be out on the water from the bridge talking about the world of corporate sponsorships, event marketing, and marketing communications. This is your captain and host, Rick Jones of Fishbait Marketing and Engagement Partners. We recently talked about nostalgia as a marketing position. Today, we're going to talk about licensed merchandise, and a lot of that falls into the nostalgic uh, phase. Uh, Fans like to wear the logos and colors of their favorite teams or their favorite recording artists. My special guest today is Rick Merriam of Exemplar Associates, who handles licensing partnerships for a variety of schools and other entities, and he'll talk about this fascinating industry. We'll step gingerly up on the old soapbox and find another delicious place to eat on the road with Rick. So let's cast off from the bridge. I've told you in the past that my favorite boss of all time, the great Chuck Jarvie, once described a fan as someone who would suspend rational behavior in pursuit of their passion. Licensed merchandise is the proof of this. We are what and who we wear. When we go to a musical concert, we often will buy a T-shirt to remind us of that experience when we get back home. Go to any college football game, and most of the fans will be wearing their school colors and marks. I love the whiteout games or the blackout games where everyone wears the same colors in the stands. In college and professional sports, teams make millions in licensing revenues from the sales of products containing their marks. But it wasn't always so in college sports. In the next few weeks, we'll have as our very special guest, the legendary Bill Battle, to tell everyone the story of how he invented collegiate licensing. And I'm very much looking forward to that discussion along with other things from my good friend, Bill Battle. Now, my son Ryan loves LeBron James. When Ryan was 16, he, he was um, unfortunately uh, injured. He, he had a very bad leg cut in a boating accident where he got caught up in a propeller. And um, while he was recuperating, my good friend Michelle Gretsch, who at that time was the brand manager at Coca-Cola on the Powerade brand, Michelle had a partnership with LeBron. LeBron uh, was an endorser for um, Powerade, and uh, she knew Ryan was hurting, and so she had LeBron sign a Powerade jersey, a LeBron Powerade jersey, and uh, mail it to him. Ryan has that framed, and it's one of his most prized possessions. And because of that, Ryan's been a LeBron fan from Cleveland to Miami to Cleveland to Los Angeles, and he's kind of a happy camper since the Lakers actually won the world championship this year. At the same time, here's another great example of licensed products. Ryan is also, unfortunately, a huge fan of the Atlanta Falcons. And what jersey does he wear? Well, of course, Julio Jones. After all, it's the same last name.
My guest is Rick Merriam of Exemplar Associates. Rick is the founder and CEO and previously worked at both LRG and Learfield Sports handling licensing programs. His current clients include Columbia University, the University of Pennsylvania, Holy Cross, Washington University, and the University of Wyoming, among others. Let's welcome Rick to the bridge. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for being with us. Hey, good morning, Rick, as well. Um, Thank you for inviting me. Looking forward to this. Well, this should be fun. Uh, This entire show is about licensing. And mm-hmm. um, and so we're talking a little bit about that. And obviously, you've had a, a, a wonderful career and are continuing to work in that space. But I was intrigued by the, the exemplar tagline of purposeful licensing. Talk about sure. that a little bit. Yeah, it really gets to the, to the why. Um, beyond, and it goes well beyond generating revenue. And revenue is certainly a big part of licensing. Um, But as specifically collegiate licensing is now a mature industry, uh, we really wanted to go deeper. And we were hearing from colleges and universities across the country that that they wanted more. They wanted deeper, uh, more sophistication, so on and so forth. And... uh, What's then? What's the purpose? What is the purpose of the university's licensing program? You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> I'm amazed, um, and I've worked in college athletics for a long, long time. But I'm still mm-hmm. amazed that, a, in many cases, a 150 million dollar business would outsource their brand. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they would outsource their brand to a multimedia rights holder or outsource their marks to a to a licensing company. And and I think obviously what y'all are trying to do is let the institution have a little bit more of what I call integrity control mm-hmm. um, about their mark and where their mark is going to appear and how it's going to to be. Would you would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and what works for uh one of our clients, what works at Cornell University, doesn't necessarily work, makes sense at Wyoming, which won't make sense at Notre Dame, Alabama, Tennessee. So we're, we're structured in a way to go really deep with, um, with each of the schools that we work with, as well as with the retail partners, the licensee partners, the manufacturing partners, um, and to really curate and create what we think are, again, purposeful programs and, and that purpose Rick goes into I mean, the manufacturing and the supply chain piece as well, which is a really hot topic in today's uh, pandemic environment. Um, but where are those products coming from? Well, under what conditions are those products being made? And, and that's that's a meaningful piece for for a lot of universities that I, that I think maybe has been overlooked a little bit in the past. Yeah, we're actually working with a um, a potential new licensee in the collectible poster business. But one mm-hmm. of the things we realized is they were going to need to to join the Fair Labor Association. Um, you know, now the good news is they're they're in, uh, they're, they're made in America, so they're not made in China or Bangladesh right. or someplace like that. But there are some facets about that, and we know that students today have become 
extremely sophisticated about understanding supply chain mm-hmm. and where mm-hmm. things are coming. And are, are these, you know, t-shirts being made in sweatshops? And 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 yeah. you're you work with a what I call a very sophisticated uh, list of prestigious institutions, and I think that's part of it. Um, is 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 making sure that. Um, that we're not wearing a product where someone has been uh, abused in the process of making that product. Sure. Yeah. One thing we say a lot, and you've probably heard this, is that to, to these consumers, they don't just want more. They're looking for better. And I think the, the more um, is certainly a part of what we do, but we also want to bring that better to the marketplace. Well, the collegiate space is so complicated. And part of the complication is, as you mentioned, the objectives at Alabama are certainly different than the objectives at Penn. They're all Mm -hmm. part of the family, the collegiate family. And the ability, this idea of one size fits all just doesn't work. And I think we're seeing that across Television contracts, we're seeing mm-hmm. it clearly in multimedia rights, and we're certainly seeing it now in licensing, too. And the ability to be adaptable for that specific brand, uh, I think, is essential going forward. So I applaud you all for, for what you're doing there. Tell me tell me a little bit about, about where you started. I, I, know, I read your bio. I know you worked at LRG at one point. T- t- talk about your background, where you went yeah, to school, I, and, what, I, and how you got in this business. Yeah, well, I grew up in northern Vermont. Small town and went to uh, Middlebury College, Division Three school, and um, finished up Middlebury, which was a fantastic place. I made great friends. It's where I met the woman I'm now married to. Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, led myself into sports business, sports management. I'd always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, had a couple of little businesses uh, as an undergrad. Um Played sports my whole life, played soccer in college, played all sorts of sports in high school. Uh, graduate school at Springfield College, and then I moved out to Colorado and was with the Olympic Committee. Back when they had such a thing as the Olympic Festival, you may remember yep, those. Yeah, I do remember those. Jack and Kelly that, was a good friend who ran yeah. festivals in Minneapolis and Houston during that era. Yeah, yep. okay. Yeah, and this was the lead up to the 96 Atlanta Games. Uh, stayed on with the Olympic Committee for a couple of years uh, following the Atlanta Games. Uh, joined a, uh, Colorado Rapids when Major League Soccer was starting up in Denver. And that led to an opportunity with, with Gatorade, uh, who was not an MLS sponsor, but I'd gotten to know some of the people there. Uh, helped with the launch of Propel Fitness Water, uh, which is still around, the Gatorade Energy Bar, which I'm pretty sure is not still around. Um, But when PepsiCo bought Quaker, and Quaker Oats had been the owner of Gatorade, they wanted people, uh, all the field people, to move down to Dallas. And I didn't have interest in moving down to Texas at the time. So uh, maybe apropos for this, uh, your business and this podcast, I was fishing, fly fishing one day with a college buddy. And he said, Rick, what are you going to do next? And I said, I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe I'll do something in college athletics, right? We played sports together, love that environment, some of that business, the collegiate spirit. Fast forward, it led to an opportunity at, at Colorado College, down in Colorado Springs. Yep. 
fantastic school. Joel Nielsen was the athletic director at the time. He hired me. Very grateful for that. And on the first day on the job, he plopped a folder on my desk. And the tab just said licensing. I said, Joel, what's this? And he said, we need to have a licensing program. We've been trying to do it ourselves here at CC for a long time, and we're not doing a very good job with it. So open the folder up, the notebook up, and on the inside cover were taped uh, Dick Rademacher and Lewis Hardy's business cards. And Dick and Lewis had founded LRG. So I phoned them up later in the week. Again, fast forward, uh, Colorado College decided to partner with LRG for that license management services, and I became the licensing director, among other hats that, I, that was hanging on my wall. So we launched the licensing program at Colorado College. A few years later, my wife and I had had our son. She's also a New Englander. We always knew that we would move back east, as we say, and I had an opportunity at Brown University in the athletics office there. That was the move. Um, we also worked with LRG while I was at Brown University. And when the economy started to really slide back in 2008, 2009, the, the team from LRG had come to Brown to visit us and went for a walk after the meeting. And I asked Lewis Hardy, I said, Lewis, how's, how's your business doing? Because I, I get this enough. If, if people are worried about their jobs and their income, they're not out in the, certainly not in the bookstores or the Walmarts, the Dick's Sporting Goods, and so on and so forth, buying up product. He said, Rick, our business is, he said, we're going to be fine. But what we need is we need a person up here in New England managing our current clients, helping us grow the business who can speak the New England language. And he said, if you know anybody, let me know. And keep in mind, Rick, I was perfectly happy at Brown. But I said to Lewis, I said, I'll do it. And he laughed and said, are you serious? And I said, I think so. Let's talk. So nine months later, um, I became a, a regional manager for LRG. And uh, wow. was, was with them for a few years. Um, of course, Learfield acquired LRG and... Uh, acquired strategic marketing affiliates, blended the two companies together to become Learfield licensing partners. And after about six months of that transition, I just I came to realize that for me personally and professionally, um, I needed to move on. Um, I maybe kind of sealed within the Learfield structure at the time. So, um, gosh, about five years ago. That uh, all on good terms, left Learfield, um, had a feeling that I might want to start this business, but wasn't sure that uh, the timing was going to be right. But again, spoke with a lot of people, did some soul searching, and uh, we started Exemplar Associates um, to be a little bit different in the, in the collegiate licensing agency space. So here we are. We're grateful for all the people we've met. We're super grateful for, for our clients. A uh, lot of opportunities ahead as well. Well, in that conversation we just had, <clears throat> a, a lot of things have emerged. One, I, I, I coached um, at a Division three school. I started my career as a soccer and basketball coach at Swanee at the University of the South. And mm -hmm. I've, mm -hmm. I've felt for a long, long time that Division three athletics 
are significantly undervalued literally because of the number of student athletes that go on to be CEOs and and, and leading executives. It's a different kind. It's not a mass, uh, but it's a class approach that I think Mm -hmm. is interesting. You you mentioned working with Gatorade. That that may be the ultimate licensed product, you know, the, the, the guys down in Florida, you know, created Mm -hmm. the isotonic industry and, 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 um, Ray Graves was the football coach at the time. And, 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 you know, he claimed that Gatorade saved their season and, and did all that. And then I guess it was Stokely, um, Van Camp that had the first, um, partnership with Gatorade, then to Craig Quicker and then to Pepsi, which is kind of, which is kind of interesting. Um, I also have, uh, some other good friends, Mike Polisi has been on our podcast from Van Wagner and he, mm-hmm. he was with Nelligan and Nelligan was purchased by Learfield. And then he made the decision like you did. Hey, no offense. I like these guys, but I think there's something I want to do differently. And he went out and started Van Wagner's collegiate division too. So yeah, Mike's think- an old friend. I've known Mike a long time as well. And the, the Nelligan guys and, and Mike's one of those people that I, I reached out to after I'd left Learfield and sort of bounce some ideas off of him. So he's, he's a great one. Yeah. Y'all kind of, y'all, y'all did go kind of parallel paths, which is interesting. Um, you know, you talk about 08, it was interesting in that period. We, we watched the phenomenon in our state. I live in South Carolina and, and mm-hmm. we had a bunch of friends that said, I'll give up two weeks at the beach, but I'm not going to give up seven home games at Clemson. And, uh, and, and so it, it, it showed the prioritization of, of resources and and so I'm sure that the licensing business did take a little bit of hit. Every industry did in, in 08 and 09. Mm-hmm. But it was not recession-proof, but it was reasonably recession-resistant. Um, and, you know, the good news about collegiate athletics is every year you have a new fan base. They're called mm-hmm. freshmen. That's uh, right. <laughs> and freshmen want to wear the marks of the universities where they, where they go. That's it. That's it. That's absolutely right. And with with that can be uh, some of the challenges that we work with uh, with our licensing directors and the administration on campuses is that with each uh, each new incoming class, there's a there's a whole new crop of kids who who don't maybe understand the university's rules around use of name and use of logos. And with e-commerce today, uh, certainly welcome the entrepreneurial student of uh, 18, 19, 20 year olds. But uh, we find ourselves having to do a fair number of uh, takedown notices or soft cease and desist for uh, a student enterprise that's uh, decided to come up with their own merchandise shop through their, through their Instagram account. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I I remember the, um, the very famous uh, Catholics versus convicts, um, t-shirt that uh, a walk-on yeah. basketball player at Notre Dame created outside of the licensing department and uh, mm-hmm. ultimately mm-hmm. lost his chance to play college basketball because it was so controversial, but it was kind of fun. I'm going to have Bill Battle. Sure. I'm going to have Bill Battle on in two weeks um, yeah. to talk about a number of things, but really to talk about the birth of collegiate licensing when he became involved with Coach Bryant. Um, breaking yeah. Alonzo Stagg's uh, record and then finding um, quickly that f- very few schools, if any schools, had been protecting their marks at that time and mm-hmm. and literally created an industry that others, including Lewis, um, you know, grew 
uh, significantly. Um, but you compete against the 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 two thousand pound gorilla in CLC. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know they come in and say they win by scale. I think um, they say rightfully or wrongly, hey, Walmart's only going to carry so many SKUs. You need to be with us so that that makes sure one of yours is there. It's interesting. Fermata has emerged. They're you know ex CLC mm-hmm. guys that are friends of mine. But how, how, when you when you go to compete for a school, talk about what you think is your competitive advantage. Yeah, some of what you, you mentioned it earlier is the the one size fits all, and we refer to that as one size fits no one. Um, <laughs> there are, uh, and I, I think that uh, I've got a lot of friends still at CLC, former colleagues from the LRG days, colleagues from the the SMA Learfield blend people I've worked with over the years uh, who are longtime CLC employees. So nothing bad to say about them. I just think when, and, and Fermata proved it up when, uh, when Derek and his, his cohort left, I think it was then IMG college licensing to provide an alternative and option for college and universities that want a more um, high touch personalized approach to their license management. Of course, all these agencies like ours and CLC and Fermata provide um, online license management systems. Ours is, everything is super connected, super granular, um, provides a lot of deep insights and information for us and for the universities to help guide and shape decisions moving forward. And I know CLC and, and uh, Learfield are certainly uh, real good at capturing data as well. But I think the way that we can work with universities to translate that data and make it actionable um, sets us apart. You know, I, I run a, what I would call a niche agency and people are always asking me about how big do you want to be? And, and I always laugh and say, "Big enough." Um, what, what, whatever that means. How, 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 I'm going to use that. Yeah. I'm going to use that because yeah. we get it too. Well, yeah. you're, you're, yeah. And I'm going to use niche as well because boutique. Uh, we get that a lot, and and sorry, I, we do hear that. We've heard that a lot. And uh, well, we say uh, there are riches and niches, and and um, you know <laughs> the boutique begins to I think sometimes be used against you. I think niches. Um, makes sense. I had a, I had a friend one time. You, you'll appreciate this. Who was in the he was in the promotional agency business. <laughs> he said, "If you have two clients in a category, you have a conflict. If you have three, you have a speciality." <laughs> yeah. I, I always laughed about the difference in that. But but truly, how 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 much bigger do you want to be? Oh, um big enough <laughs> yeah, <good> answer. <laughs> I, think know, I've heard I, that one before. I think we um there uh, i mentioned earlier there are a lot of opportunities and as um as again the, the the growth of of agencies has continued and again clc is big um again i got a lot of good friends there um, we hear i hear from colleges and universities uh, all the time um, wanting to learn more about us and in some cases saying straight up, Rick, we want to work with you. And we don't want to work with just anyone and everyone. We ask a lot of questions at that point. What are your, 
again, what are your goals? What's the purpose? What's your why? And if we don't feel that there's good, um, good marriage on the front end, we, we never want to lose a client. So I'm super hesitant to sign up a new college or university client only six months, a year, two years later, have that institution be unhappy with us because we're not working towards the same goals. We're not on the same page. So bluntly, if a university says to us, well, we really just want to make more money out of our licensing program. I say, that's (laughs) raise your royalty rates. There's one, but that doesn't really get to the why or the purpose. So if a school says, we just really need to make more money, our revenues are flat. That's not a real good why for me. I think with a lot of the, a lot of what we can do for a school is going to help with. Yeah, that's an outcome. Rep- yeah, that's an the, outcome. That's not necessarily the why. That's yeah. it. That's it. So we hear that, and we just like you know we're 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 not uh, interested, and we say it a little more politely than that. So we could be five, six, eight times the size we are right now if we'd taken every opportunity that that had come our way. We want to be uh, smart about who we work with and make sure, like I said, that uh, that um, that we're aligned. Yeah, I think having the right clients is always more important than just having any, any clients. I, I, one of the things I'm paying attention to, and I'm not sure a lot of other people are, we have a unique intersection right now of a significant pandemic that has changed the way young people attend colleges and universities, where many of them are now going online. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we have an enormous population dip about to come. We have so few 14-year-olds in America because of the population dip. And I really worry about the future of a number of liberal arts colleges in America. Can they survive? Can they survive you know, with you know, private institutions with high tuition rates um, at a time that you might be able to get a quality education online, secondarily, uh, with the lack of students in the pool. And my my feeling is the the way out of it, and I'm, I'm I'll pick on Middlebury, which I don't think is going to fold, but but mm-hmm. but the way out of it, I think, is going to be your brand. You know, what does your brand stand for? And what does this this particular school stand for? And I think licensing the way you approach it can play an enormous role uh, in helping smaller institutions remain viable. I think you're right. And uh, as a as a father of a 16 year old high school junior and a 14 year old high school freshman that 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 look ahead to colleges and universities into in, within this pandemic setting. We've got good friends. You sure you know, family members who are currently enrolled in colleges and universities and moms and dads scratching their heads saying, and like my kids at home and I'm paying 30, 40, $50,000 a year. And what's on the other side of this for the kids. And it's real. And that, uh, uh, the economics of higher ed is 
we could talk all day and I'm not the expert on that, but I do think that what one thing we worked really hard on from the beginning was, was digital and online with universities. And I don't know if this gets to the, to the question, Rick, but um, so many people are shopping and buying online today, their, their, their home computer, their tablets, their phones, smart devices. So even pre pandemic, we were working with schools to, bolster their online presence, whether that was through the campus store, working with licensees that could sell direct to consumer through their websites, um, Amazon platforms like that. And if there's been anything good coming out of this, this pandemic is that some of the schools that we work with where we've had that position pre pandemic, they're, they're, they're better off now than than other schools that have been reliant on the old way of getting product out to their to their fans and their alumni and their parents etc well if you look at your list of universities with very few exceptions you, you have schools that their graduates are displaced they, they they literally go and work all over the world if you go to holy cross you're 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 you're, you're going you know penn uh columbia uh you know washington university the, 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 you know washington university grads aren't staying in st louis i mean they're they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. going places and so ease of being able to acquire a licensed product i think is is essential. I, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about Wyoming because I'm fascinated by Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, Wyoming, to my knowledge, is the only university that their mark is also the mark of the state itself. Yeah. The bucking yeah. horse. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you handle programs, how do you or do you have to interface with the state of Wyoming because they also have that mark? And I've noticed that mark on. Their license plates, for example, yeah, uh, in the past. Everywhere. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, when when we were first um, approached by Wyoming, um, my partner and I said, "Huh, that's interesting. We don't know anyone there." Um, but as we started to peel back and have conversations, and uh, and we learned that that iconic bucking horse and rider logo is a, is a trademark of the state. And the dynamic that existed between the Secretary of State's office in Cheyenne and the university in Laramie, there's a a letter of understanding between the two. Um, It is the state's registered owned trademark. Um, The understanding is that the university would manage the licensing, trademark licensing of that mark um, across all platforms and that the university could certainly use that mark uh, in conjunction with the university itself and the athletics office. So, um, yeah, the calls that we have, the meetings that we have with Wyoming is, is a blend. It's with the secretary of state's office, uh, and it's with folks from the university. And it's, um, it's a fascinating program. Uh, we manage all the licensees and, uh, that are not headquartered in the state of Wyoming. Uh, the university licensing office manages uh, companies that are within the state. I think there are very few <clears throat> marks that transcend regions. Uh, we, we've done some work in the past with the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns, and I, I feel like they're an outlier brand in that that mark and that name – that 
Cajun lifestyle has transformational uh, opportunities, but I think Wyoming's does too. I, I, yeah. I think, you know, when I think Wyoming, you think kind of the cowboy lifestyle that's bigger than the state. Um, are y'all trying to take advantage of that? We are. We are. And um, it, it, it dovetails to Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. Which I know isn't that cowboy lifestyle, but it's that that western. Oh no, it kind of is. I mean, it's it's it's, it's 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 what we laughingly refer to those that go to Jackson Hole as all hat and no cattle. But mm. uh, but uh, it is. I've got and I've got friends that have homes in Jackson, um, and and I, I actually have a, a sister in law and brother in law who who live in Casper, so I know a good bit about mm-hmm. the state. But but talk about a little bit about what you're doing in Jackson Hole. Well, the, the, again, uh, a pre-existing understanding and an arrangement agreement between the state of Wyoming, Secretary of State's office, and the folks that operate the resort is this iconic bucking horse and rider logo is part of the resort's logo. So we've gotten into some, some licensing on behalf of the resort now as well, which I mean, there's, again, there's, there's maybe some opportunity for our company in that resort space. Um, and, and there's a lot of crossover from the licensees that are producing product in the college university market, as well as in that resort space. Um, but we've got a lot of, uh, some of it's been put on hold a little bit with the university and with the state, but, um, some, some branding, some, some consumer product, uh, call them extension type programs with the state of Wyoming for that, that, that iconic mark. Do you think we're going to be able to protect digital marks? Like, could you have school emojis? Um, you know, could you have, you know, those types of yeah, things? They're, they're happening now. Okay. They're out there. Yeah. That's, um, you know, emojis have been, uh, uh, gosh, I think, I think they're called college emojis, um, is the company. We just recently got into some talks with them. Um, the, the digital space is, uh, online space, um, been great for, for availability of product. It's also just, we, we spend an awful lot of time with, uh, enforcement and enforcing our universities names and, and imagery trademarks within that online digital space. Cause it's so ripe. Any, anyone can go online and search for a logo, <clears throat> download a logo and then use it. Yeah, like use it on your signature page or use it on any other materials that you have. I guess the, there's a level of complexity. I want to close with this last question. What What's new or what's next in the world of collegiate licensing? Yeah, um, hopefully some more partners, for example, our associates. Um, we're still, um, and we do spend a lot of time trying to, to forecast um, and, and predict uh, alongside our universities, alongside retail licensee partners, so much of it now, Rick, is still within this this pandemic. Um, I do think I'm really hopeful that we'll see um, more sourcing and manufacturing here in the U.S. Um, I know there's a lot of politics uh, and economics involved there, but as uh, globalization of manufacturing has occurred just with the number of factories that have been shut down over the last few months licensees who've had to 
cease their operations, uh, retailers really continuing to struggle. Uh, I think we're going to see more um, consolidation within the licensee pool. Um, had some big uh, movements along that front over the last couple of months. Um, I think Fanatics is going to keep getting bigger. Yeah. Um, right. They just they acquired uh, headwear company top of the world recently. And you know, you're aware Fanatics had gone uh, vertical with some of their apparel yep. manufacturing, which um, and now the headwear piece and uh, but a great company there. Um, and I think we just saw it in the last couple of weeks, there's another another agency in the space. When we started Exemplar Associates, it was uh, CLC, IMG, and Learfield Licensing. Of course, they're now together. Fermata Partners was was in the space, and 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 then it was us. And since we started five years ago, there have now been three other companies mm-hmm. come into the agency space. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I think we're all uh, differentiated enough. Um, niche enough boutique enough there's plenty of opportunity out there um thing i like about college licensing is it's not going anywhere well Um, i'm i'm hopeful that uh, american manufacturing is going to come back in a lot of ways my my mama grew up in south carolina and you know we were a mill state i mean we were a state that had just a significant textile industry that that obviously all went away and before my mom died she would say to me all the time do you think the mills are ever going to come back and and i would say no mama the mills are never going to come back i think my mom is in heaven laughing at me right now cuz i think the mills might come back um as we you know return to to doing that i also think a collegiate and educated populace will understand that those products are going to cost more. Mm-hmm. And yet you are contributing to the success of smaller businesses. You're contributing to products made in a way that is not exploitive of workforce. I think all those trends are kind of emerging right now. And I think your company is really in a great position to take advantage of that because I think that's yeah. going to be a, a unique uh, differential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see some. I'm, I'm up in uh, in New England, in Rhode Island, and just just two days ago, we were at uh, a park in Pawtucket, Slater Mill. Um, talk about textile manufacturing, and, and of course, Providence, Rhode Island, was a huge hub for jewelry, and, and we got Fall River, Massachusetts, New Bedford, Massachusetts, which were just huge textile towns. Um, starting to see a little bit of that come back, um, but I know there's still plenty of uh, Plenty of the materials and the cotton is being being produced here in the U.S. and um, you hear you just think that it's uh, it's it's more cost effective for a company to, to export that cotton to another country, have the garments assembled and then shipped back to the U.S. Um, it'd be great to see some of that just stay here. Yeah, I've I've recently finished a book on the history of the cotton industry in America. That's right. kind of a fascinating thing. I live on a on Wadmalaw Island, South Carolina. At one time, we had seven cotton plantations, and we grew a thing called Sea Island Cotton. In 1932, they lost the last seed. That 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 strain of cotton is extinct. Um, it was wow. at one time considered one of the finest cotton fibers in the world, very close to what we would call Egyptian cotton today. 
Um, and it's kind of fascinating if you really look at the the history of cotton and the American Civil War. The reason that the British supported the Confederate States was strictly economics. They wanted the cotton for their mills. After the war, the mills migrated, obviously, as we um, got grew our industrial might to, to your area of the country, into New England, and then later, obviously, it became more economical to migrate the mills south to South Carolina, then on to Mexico, then on yeah. to China, then on to Bangladesh. It's been an interesting, but it's going to be fascinating, I think, to watch. Listen, I, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, you've been terrific. Uh, good luck with your your business and all the changes that are going on. And uh, Rick, thanks again for being with us today from the bridge. Thank you very much. It's been an honor and a privilege. Last week's Soapbox created quite a buzz as we near the end of this very contentious election. I suggested two things. Number one, Let's just throw out everybody in Washington, regardless of their party. And number two, why don't we start a brand new party? I must have hit a nerve because I've heard from lots of people. If you watched any of the confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett, you were subjected to the ugliness of politics and both the hypocrisy of both parties and the way everyone tries to misconstrue the truth to reach only those who agree with them. I love how both politicians and the media try to restate the question when they don't get the answer they won't. I remember once I was with a colleague at a client, and my colleague kept telling the client, but you just don't understand. You you just don't understand. Finally, the client said, hey, I hear you, I understand you, and I disagree with you, and you need to move on. Are we finally ready to move on? So are we? That's my question from the soapbox. Let's hope so. Let's get back on the road with Rick. We recently found ourselves in Washington, Georgia. Washington, Georgia is a charming town in the middle of Georgia. It's about 40 miles from Athens, where the University of Georgia is. It's one of the oldest towns in Georgia, and it's the site of the Kettle Creek Battlefield. During the Revolutionary War, this was actually the first victory by the Patriots in the Southern Campaign. As I've told you uh, previously, we're working on a Revolutionary War project for the Liberty Trail, and we had a chance to go visit this very historic battlefield. But after touring the battlefield, we were starving, and we made our way back to the town square in Washington, and there we found a terrific, wait for it, French restaurant called appropriately C'est La Vie. The owner's chef is from Avignon, France, and the food is terrific. Charlotte had a seafood salad with both grilled calamari and shrimp with a champagne vinaigrette, while I had the classic French ham sandwich on a baguette with palm frites. They have a terrific wine list and lots of other dishes I was dying to try, including a selection of wood-fired French-style pizzas. Believe me, it's worth the trip to Washington, Georgia, 
to eat at this place, c'est la vie, on the road with Rick. Another trip in the boat from the bridge is in the books. Let us hear from you. We'll see you again next week with another episode. In the meantime, stay safe and healthy, my friends. This virus won't seem to go away, and we all need to remain cautious. Bye-bye, or as they say, it's c'est la vie. Au revoir.